Well, tonight we're going to work on our theme for the year. It's been a little while since we've done so, and it really fits the song, Love God's Way. That's our theme, Love God's Way. It's a choice that we all make to experience God's love, uh, God's way, and then also to extend it to others, love God's way. So uh, let's go ahead and do our, our reading here from our text. First Corinthians and chapter number 13 is going to be our text. I know that's quite familiar to uh, most here. But how could we have a theme, love God's way, and not, and not deal, uh, at least in one message, if not a whole series, in 1 Corinthians 13? I'd, I had really even thought about the summer, especially times when I was out, you know, for camps or something like that, to kind of divvy up like we've done. If you remember that with the fruit of the Spirit, we had different, uh, the men on, on the church staff to preach on one of the fruits of the Spirit. And I thought about doing that with the the uh, uh, definition here of love, you know, charity suffereth long, suffereth long and is kind. You could, you could do a whole message on each of those very easily, very easily. I always use it in, in premarital counseling and have uh, those that I try to do premarital counseling. I think many use this chapter and give them a homework assignment about, okay, define what it means and then give a concrete example because it's real easy to love your spouse in theory and not in practicality. And so uh, it's, been a, it's been a good exercise and, and I, I certainly need it myself in marriage and, and I think we all can attest to that. But the context here is the local church. Um, and so that's why we're gonna give it consideration. So, <clears throat> well, um, we'll look at verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, Paul says, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, just a bunch of clanging, a gong, and a clanging of this uh, cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so, I, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. See what I mean? You could do a series on each of those, right? Or a at least a sermon on each of them. And then he goes on about uh, the revelatory gifts of prophecy and tongues and knowledge and that they would cease and have ceased. But uh, verse number 13 says, and now abideth faith, hope, and faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is charity. And so the title tonight, this is sermon number 18 in, in our uh, theme series, Love God's Way. And the title is this, A Showcase 
of God's love. A showcase of God's love. And I'll explain what I mean here in just a few moments. A showcase of God's love. May God bless the reading of his word and the importance of this chapter as we give it a good consideration here tonight. <clears throat> a showcase of God's love. For those of you that are guests or maybe just uh, new to Southwest here uh, since the summertime, our theme is found in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Beloved, if God so loved us, and, and that song captured it, didn't it? The love of God for us, even when we were wayward. Um, if God so loved us, then we ought also to love one another. Uh, we're defining love this way, uh, using John Stott's definition. He said it this way. There's several definitions that would be good and useful in defining it, but he said it this way. It is rather helpful. Seeking another's positive good at one's own cost. Seeking another's good at your own cost. Do you get it? Seek it. Do you get it? Seeking another's good at your own cost. Okay, it could be as simple as letting somebody in line ahead of you. You're giving them their, your, your place and you're doing that at your own cost. And that'd be a small thing to do, but that would be an illustration of it. Seeking of another's positive good at one's own cost. And here's what we've been uh, trying to give attention to throughout the year. And by the way, this has been a challenging theme. And yet I hope and trust that it's also been a helpful theme. Um, how many of you would say, this has been a challenging thing? I mean, like to put into practice. I'll be glad when it's over, to tell you the truth. So anyways, I'm just kidding. But it's a challenging theme. But I have found it to be very helpful. And, and basically, we've been trying to give attention to this. Those who have experienced God's love need to extend it to others. If we're the recipient of his love, then we need to extend it to others. Just last night in our family Bible reading, we read uh, the book of Philemon, just obviously one chapter. And yet that really does capture what it means to love others. Paul wrote, he says, I, I hear of thy, thy love and of thy faith, which thou hast to the Lord, Lord Jesus toward all the saints. Uh, he's saying to Philemon, Philemon, I know that you have the reputation for showing love to God's people. Guess who's one of God's newest people? And that was Onesimus who had, who had done him wrong. And so the adult classes are doing a study there in Philemon. It's a great, it's a great book. Now, what we're doing actually is that we're on our way to a, a series that God will, will start next Sunday, next Wednesday night, rather, next Wednesday night in 1 John. In, in, the, uh, in the book of the Bible that hosts our, our theme verse. First John, we'll do second and third John as well. And, um, and so we, we've, we've kind of been on our way to that destination, looking at different New Testament passages that emphasize how that as believers, we need to love one another. So it's not like we've struggled to find text that deal with the fact that we need to love one another. In fact, it's been hard to narrow it down to which ones do we want to give attention to because there, there's just so many of them that talk about that. And I've had on my heart and mind a long time to do 1 Corinthians 13. Thought to do it early in the summer and just uh, got into some other ones. And so here we are tonight giving it one shot uh, before we get into 1 first, uh, first John. Now, I'd like to do this in rapid fashion before we get to our text. I'd like to review just 
some of the highlights from this summer, just to help us all, even with the theme, and then also coming into 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. We looked at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, where the Word of God says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Okay, have fervent charity among yourselves. Uh, we studied that during vacation Bible school. And I think that was a very appropriate time to talk about the fact that we need fervent charity uh, for one another, especially for little people that came to vacation Bible school. If you remember that, I mean, it just kind of worked out that way that that's where we were. And, and so uh, chapter four, verse seven talks about how that uh, the Lord is at hand. In other words, his coming is very, very soon. I remember a little uh, young man named Derek, age in the sixth grade. He said, uh, he said this, he said, they've been saying he's coming again since the nineties. Like that was a long time ago. Well, actually it goes back further than just the nineties. It goes back to when Jesus departed from the earth in the ascension. So he got close, right? I guess to him, the nineties was a long time ago. The Lord is coming again. We need to have fervent love one to another. The word uh, fervent means this extended, stretched out stretched out like, a, like a, a person running a race and they're stretching out. They're giving it their all. I mean, their, their, their muscles are tense. It, it actually has this idea of a horse that's at full gallop. Um, do, do you get the idea? Do you see that? I'm just mentioning that because I, I believe we need to keep in our minds that, that it's not like we've arrived at what it means to show love to one another. Um, we're not, I don't think we're at a full gallop in, in terms of loving one another. Hello. We may not even be at a trot. We may not be at a walk. We may not even have the horse saddled yet. Um, I know we know we're supposed to love one another, but isn't it challenging? And it doesn't come natural. So we talked about having fervent love. We talked about uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and, and how that Paul wrote this. Would you, would you listen to it? It says this, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. Increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do towards you. To the end, to the goal that he may, that God may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. So he says, I'm, I'm praying for you that you would increase and abound in love. And as you abound in love, here's what's going to happen, that God is going to establish you or establish you unblameable in holiness. So there is a connection between love and holiness. Now, we called that sermon God's view on love. God's view on love. It was right on the hills of the message that we considered out of uh, several passages, a little bit more of a topical approach to it. And uh, Psalm 100 was, was, main, was a mainstay where it talks about, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. And we talked about applying transformational love to the transgender issue. 
And we considered the life of a young, of a lady, a young lady named Laura who, who transitioned or tried to transition in from being a female to being a male. And she went from Laura to Jake. But here's what she said. She realized this, that when she stood before God one day, that he would refer to her as Laura, not as Jake. Because Jake was her creation, but Laura was God's creation. And so we talked about applying transformational love to even the transgender issue. And, and here's, here's the reason we dealt with that. And even the reason that I'm hitting it here again tonight, and I hope you don't feel like I'm trying to re-preach all these messages. I'm just trying to say, hey, we need to grow in this area. We, we need to give attention to this because we're, we're, not, we're, we're not giving it our all here and we're, we're getting uh, to, to the text and as, even the reason as to why. But the world is confused about what it means to love. And the mantra is love is love or cherish your love or sorry, choose your love or live your passion. And here's the problem. Holiness is left out of that equation. True love leads to holy living that pleases God. It's interesting to me that as you come out of 1 Thessalonians chapter number three and you come into chapter number four, even though you have the chapter division, the idea is continuing. And chapter four, the very beginning of it, deals with sexual purity and that it is God's will that we would be sexually pure. Well, see, if you truly love, if you truly love, then you'll be holy in, in sexual purity. It, it, listen, if somebody is even here tonight and saying, well, we love each other, even though we're not married, we're involved sexually, we're doing probably more than what we ought to, but we love each other. No, you don't. No, you don't. Not according to what God says, because you cannot disconnect God's form of love from holiness. You may lust each other, but you're not loving each other. Um. It's reminded of this quote that Paul said, that, or a man said about what Paul said. The goal for Paul was not the destruction of the physical desire, but rather the sanctifying of it. The sanctifying of it, the setting apart of it. I say it often, and I say it again tonight, that a fire in the house is fine as long as it's in the fireplace. The desire that a, that a man has to a woman, that, uh, that a young man has to a young woman, that's a natural desire, but it's got to be in the, right, in the right place. In other words, there's only one place that makes it right, and that's within the bounds of marriage. Everything outside of that is not true love. It's self-love. It's self-love. And so tonight, I, I know that we, I'm just tossing this out there as a reminder that we need to fully embrace God's view on love, not the secular world's view on love. And, and here, lastly, before we get to our text, we looked at, at Revelation chapter 2 and gave it this title, Don't Give Your First Love Second Place. Don't give your first love second place. And God gave us a, a, a good admonition in, in Revelation chapter two, that he, even though here was a church that was doctrinally sound, they were separated. They were separated ecclesiastically. They were separated uh, even in terms of their holy living and they were busy serving God. But here was the problem. It wasn't that they didn't love God. They just didn't give God priority in their love. And it's very possible that, that we could be doctrinally sound, busy in God's work and separated and yet not putting God first. So don't give your first love second place. 
So that, that brings us here tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and many would refer to it as the love chapter. I mean, I mean the whole chapter is about, is about love, you know, charity, love. And, and so um, here, here they are as a New Testament church that is a called out assembly, and they were called out of a, out of a very wicked culture there in Corinth. And they were called out assembly to, to be this, and this is where I, I'm using the word showcase, they were to be a showcase of God's love. People around were supposed to be able to look and, and say, look how they love one another. God called them out of this world and, and look how now they love one another. They're not selfish towards one another. They think about one another. They're putting one another first. That's what, how it was supposed to be. They were supposed to be a showcase. You know what I mean by showcase? A display, a demonstration of God's love. But here's what was happening in the, in the church in Corinth. They were taking one another to court. They were suing one another. They were at strife with one another. There was sexual sin that was in the church. Uh, they were uh, of a party spirit saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And, and, and there's all kinds of other just uh, twisted things that were going on. They weren't waiting for one another when it came to the Lord's Supper and, and they were neglecting the poor. They weren't thinking of each other. In other words, I'm just simply saying they were anything but an example or a display of God's love. And that was also seen in the way that they exercised the gifts that God had given them. Chapter 12 is about the gifts. Chapter 14 is about the gifts, okay? So chapter 12, it talks about how that God gifted each of them. Some were uh, there and given the gifts of service, gifts of teaching, gifts of tongues. Now, tongues was the, the one that had them most interested, had their interest. So you have chapter 12 that's about the gifts uh, that were given for the benefit of the whole church. And then chapter number 14 is about the gifts and specifically the gift of tongues and, um, and how that it should be properly uh, done or conducted and, the, and the, also the gift of prophesying. So you have chapter 12, chapter 14 that deal with the gifts. Sandwiched between the two is chapter 13 about how they're to love one another. And it's as though this, Paul is driving home, listen, you can't operate as a church the way that God wants you to operate if you're not loving one another. The members of the church began to get a sense of their worth from their gifts rather than from their ability to love one another. And instead of showcasing God's love, they were showcasing their own gifts. You know, it doesn't matter how gifted you are if you're not truly spiritual. That's what was going on in Corinth. They were gifted, but they were not spiritual. I was reminded of Tony Dungy and how that uh, in his book Uncommon, he talked about the great talent that a lot of NFL players, and yet they don't have character. And sometimes the, as he was coaching the Indianapolis Colts, he would put on, on that draft card, uh, DNDC, do not draft because of character, character issues. Well, here they were in Corinth and they were highly gifted and yet they weren't loving one another. And thus they became more of a liability than an asset because they were seeking affirmation through their giftedness rather than through loving one another. It was about their performance. You see, what, what happened here is that they came out of a pagan type religion where 
where there was all kinds of bizarre behavior, wildness, I mean, just out of control. By the way, the Spirit of God never produces chaos. The Spirit of God doesn't cause you to lose control. A fruit of the Spirit is temperance and thus He gives self-control. But here they were emphasizing uh, wildness and, and working themselves up into a frenzy. I mean, much like what you'd see perhaps in a, in a, in a missions video from, from New Guinea or something like that. I mean, it was very much that same way as what was going on in, in Corinth. And here's what the problem was. They were bringing the elements of their culture into the church. And the church was beginning to look a lot more like the culture than it was like Christ. It's always problematic. The Spirit of God gives the difference, diversity of gifts for the benefit of all, not for the benefit of one. You realize tonight that as you're saved and you're a member of this church body, that you are specifically gifted in a special way that God wants to use within this church family. That includes every one of us. In my soul, I mean, even just our physical bodies, there's, I mean, we got all kinds of body parts, but it's really all one body. When you think about it, you got eyes, eyelids, pupils, corneas, optic nerves. I mean, that's just with the eye and that's not all the parts. Your skin, the dermis and epidermis, oil glands, sweat glands, hair follicles, nerves, joints, ligaments, cartilage, bones, blood vessels, valves, lungs, kidneys, toenails, pancreas, lungs, elbows, and hanging down any skin. I mean, you've got all kinds of body parts. <laughs> Anyways. And when one part of your body hurts, the whole body responds. You ever notice that? That's really the way that it's designed to work. I mean, if you're getting up at night and you, you stub your toe, your pinky toe, that's the worst. I mean, any toe is bad, but when you stub your pinky toe, immediately your hand goes to grab your toe. Am I right about that? And then your eye is looking down to say, what in the world just moved to get in the way of my pinky toe? And your mouth goes open and, and you're hopping around and then you fall back on the bed crying in pain. Am I right about that? And all it is is just your little toe. Just your little toe did all of that. You know why? Because the body is one. And every part is important. You may say, well, I'm not as important as other parts of the body. Well, what if the whole body was a little pinky toe? That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> what if the whole body were an ear? What if the whole body were an eye? What if the whole body were a nose? I mean, where would the seeing be? Where would the hearing be? And then Paul makes that argument in 1 Corinthians 12. I mean, that just, number one, it'd be weird. Number two, it's not going to work. And you know why parts of the body weren't feeling important? Because there wasn't love working within the body. And some were exalting themselves and they were saying, well, I speak in tongues. What can you do? Uh, nothing. They just didn't feel very important. See, but when, when love is working within the church, it makes everyone feel important. The well-being of the church depended on showing love God's way, not on showcasing their gifts. In fact, showcasing their gifts would take away from God's love because the focus is more on themselves. Paul says here, if I, if I speak with the tongues of men, if I, if I, could, if I could speak every language... If I could speak the angels' language, I don't think he's necessarily saying that the angels have their own special language. I think he's just using a figure of speech to say, listen, even if they had a language and I could speak it, if I didn't have love, I'd be nothing. You get what he's saying? 
I, I would be like a gong. I thought about, you know, bringing the, you know, some kind of a metal object up here and just while I'm preaching, try to just go to beating it. I mean, that would be so distracting. You would just be, you would be upset with me. If I'm up here just banging, 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 banging while I'm trying to preach, you'd say, preacher forevermore, stop. Well, that's, that's, what it's, that's what it's like when somebody's trying to use their spiritual gift, but they're using it for their own good. It's, it's distracting. You know, it's great that God's given you the ability to preach or God's given you the ability to, to teach or the ability to sing or, or whatever your gift is. But if it's just you beating your own drum, then you're distracting from the message. Stop it. That's what Paul is saying. Don't make it about you. That's the problem in the church. They made this whole thing about, about them. And every one of us, of course, are in danger of that. And so he says, if you, even if you are gifted in preaching or if you have insight even into mysteries and understand all knowledge, if you don't have love, what is that profit? By the way, Paul had these gifts and yet he did profit the church. You know why? And the churches, he, he profited the churches because he did it out of love, not out of showmanship. You could give, you could give all your money to feed the poor, but if, if, you're, if you're doing it to be seen to men, you don't have anything. You're not really giving anything. You're just loving yourself. Even if you make the ultimate sacrifice to be a martyr so that they'd write books about you, well, you wouldn't get to read them. But if you don't have love, it doesn't count for anything. Paul... Um, Paul here is saying, listen, um, you're not showing love God's way in the church. And I'm, I'm not preaching this tonight because, man, we got this big problem. We got, we got this people showcasing and, and getting up here and, and singing. I, I mean, you know, Miss Sarah is the most recent one. I don't think she was up here at all trying to showcase the talent and ability that God's given her. I thank God that God's given her that ability. He didn't give it to me. He gave it to her. And that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not envious. I'm not selfish. I'm not jealous. I'm just glad that she could use it. It's a blessing. But I don't think she was trying to get us all to say, oh man, that was so good. Awesome. You're so good. That's not, if I know her and I think I do, I, I know that's not her motive, but it's rather this. God, God took me in. And anybody that stands up here to preach or sing or serves or greets people out in the foyer, it ought to be because of God's love. It ought not be, hey, look at me. Appreciate me. I'm not preaching this tonight because we've got a problem with it that I know of, but I would be thankful to God if God would use this to help us to, to truly serve the way that he wants us to serve. And by the way, also the way that he even deserves. Lest somebody here would, would be involved in it, you know, for themselves. And there's more application than just that, but that's a real good application. It's right where they were living at the time. He, he goes into what love actually looks like. And everything he said don't do, that's what they were doing. And everything he said that love does, that's what they were not doing. So he says this here, um, that charity suffereth long. Let's, let's look at it here a little bit. Charity suffereth long. It means to be patient with the offenses of others or when they injure you. Be patient. Remember what love is? Let me go back to that. Love is seeking the good of others, even at your own cost. Anybody else have trouble with that? Am I the only sinner in here tonight? You know why we don't show love to others? Because we're too much in love with ourselves. That's it. By the way, anytime a preacher preaches, if he's doing it right, God's already dealt with him on it. 
in the study. So I've already, I've already had my time at the altar at the chair in my office saying, God, I haven't been showing love the way that I ought to. Anybody else want to join me here tonight? <laughs> huh? Anybody come pray with me here? <laughs> I mean, every one of us are in need of this. Mercy. Just read a good chapter on marriage. It's called, the book is called uh, The Mystery of Marriage. It's, this particular chapter is on vows. And, and it opened with this line, and I, I'm just, you know, I know this, the, I use this passage in dealing with marriage, and it certainly does apply. And I hope you're thinking about your marriage tonight. I hope you're thinking about, you know, your, your family relationships. I hope you're thinking about your friendships. I hope you're thinking about, uh, you know, your fellow members of the church. I hope you're thinking about you know, stu students. I hope you're thinking about, you know, your roommates that you need to suffer along. But in marriage, listen to what it says. Um, this is really good. A marriage is not a joining of two worlds, but an abandoning of two worlds in order that one new world might be formed. Everybody following that? Marriage is not the joining of two worlds. Sometimes, now I, I, I get what we're thinking here when we say, well, marriage is a marriage of three families, her family, your family, and then the family that you establish right? Because her family had a way of doing Thanksgiving and your family had a way of doing Thanksgiving. Now you got to do your way of doing Thanksgiving. She had a way. Am I, am I telling the truth right here? Are we doing all right? She had a way of doing Christmas. Your family had a way of doing Christmas. Now you got to do your own Christmas, right? Um, she had a way of dealing with toothpaste and you had a way of doing with toothpaste. And now you got to deal with your own way of doing toothpaste. Fortunately, Angie and I are on the same page. That, I mean, it really, that's probably saved our marriage right there. I mean, it is, it's a blending, you know, but, but really it's not so much a, a joining of two worlds as much as it is this, I've got to be willing to abandon my world and she's got to be willing to abandon her world so that then we can have our one new world. But I'll tell you where my problem is. I don't know if anybody else here is. I guess I'm just confessing all my sin here tonight. I don't want to let go of my world. I don't want to let go of being right. I don't want to let go of being, getting my way. I don't want to let go. Anybody else, you, anybody else like that? You like that, Brother Brad? Yeah, we're not good, are we? We're bad. That's right, see? We don't want to let go of our world. Well, that's what was going on in the church even. They didn't want to let go of the world. I speak in tongues. Well, I preach the word. Well, I sing. Well, I play the piano. Well, I, 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 I. Nobody was abandoning their world. So what you had is all these worlds colliding in one church family. What we've got to be willing to do is say, you know what? I don't have to have my way. I don't always have to be right. And I don't always have to be right. And I don't have to have my own way. How about we just get together and let God be right? It's not difficult. But sometimes my horse is at a full gallop, but it's not going towards unity. It's going away from unity. You get what I'm saying? I reference all the way back to fervent love. Sometimes I, I'm, I'm going the other way when God says, no, you need, you need to come and be right here, meet right here together. Experience God's love and then pass it on to somebody else that needs it real bad. Because we all need it real bad. Charity, charity suffereth long and is kind. And it's, uh, what's the next part? <laughs> Brother Brandon, help me out. Envy, oh yeah, envy, it's not, it's not jealous. It's not jealous. It's not saying. Why, why do they, why do they get that class? 
I'm much better of a teacher than they ever will be. Huh. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not abandoning your world. Does this make sense? Right. It, 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 it envieth not. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Uh, puffed up vaunteth itself is saying, I'm better than you are. I know better than you are, than you do. I know English better than I know how things ought to go. I understand more eschatology than you do. I, I, know, I know more about leading somebody to the Lord. Hey, well, what, what's happening there is we make the Christian life even about ourselves. Vaunteth not itself is not, is not puffed up. It's not, it's not egotistical. It's not arrogant. That was the problem here is that they were being arrogant. And, and then it says this, uh, are we doing okay? Is this all making sense to you here tonight? Is this something that we need or is it just something that we could just kind of breeze on by? No, I think it's something that we need, don't we? Because we get stuck on ourselves. And, and he says, it, it, it doth not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't act in a way that brings shame. They were acting in a way that brought shame within the church and within the community because they had sin that they weren't dealing with. Listen, if, if, if we do love, then we've got to be willing to deal with sin. And then he says this, um, seeketh, seeketh not her own. Obviously, it's not self-serving. It's not easily provoked. It's not irritable or angry, easily angered. Did you get angry today? You might want to give a testimony here tonight. And, okay, probably not. Not easily provoked. You know, somebody, somebody probably said something to you they shouldn't have said, right? I wonder if you did too, though. <laughs> hey, you're provoking me. Stop. <laughs> it's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. You know, uh, that word there is interesting. As I studied it out, it, it literally means this, uh, keeping score keeping count, thinking no evil, that like calculating. So it's a mathematical term that's used this way that, that I'm, I've been adding this up against you and you, you have done this, this many times. And now you must pay. That's thinking evil. All right. Rejoice is not in iniquity. You know what that means? That means you're, you're not at a place of being glad when they lose their job. And you don't say, well, they had that coming to them. Huh. Yeah. But rejoiceth in truth. And then this, verse 7, beareth all things. Beareth all things. That word was interesting. Um, it meant this. It literally is the noun form of the word means roof. Uh, like roof. You put a roof over it. You conceal it. You keep it in the house. You keep it confidential. You don't put it on Facebook. You don't blast them on social media. You don't tell everybody else what they did. You bear all things. You, it's not right. Nobody in the world's saying it's right. You just don't go around on the rooftop proclaiming to everybody else what they did. You put a roof on it. That makes sense. It put a roof on it, um, beareth all things, believeth all things. That doesn't mean you're gullible. I mean, it believeth all, that's not what that means, believeth all things. I took the word gullible out of the dictionary a long time ago. Didn't you know that? So some of you saying, for real? 
Now, when it says believe with all things, it just means this. You don't give up hope. You don't give up, you don't give up faith. You, you still have faith and confidence in God that he can work this out. Believeth all things. And then he says this, hopeth all things, doesn't lose hope. Endureth all things, puts up with a lot. Puts up with a lot. Charity never faileth. It's always adequate. It's always sufficient. It's all, it's, it, it's there. It, there listen, um, I thought about it this way. There's no expiration date on charity. There's no expiration date on charity. You realize that there is an expiration date on faith because when your faith becomes sight, you no longer have faith. When your hope is realized, that's why he says what he says in the last verse of the chapter, when he says, now abideth hope, faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. In other words, he's saying, listen, there'll come a time when prophecy is not needed, when knowledge is not needed, when tongues, you know, have ceased. We, we understand that because we've got the completed scripture, but, but he's also indicating this. There's going to come a time when you see Jesus face to face and you no longer have faith because you see him. And you no longer need hope because you will really, it will be realized. But you always will love God and you'll always have love from God and you will always to love one another. There is no expiration date on love. There's expiration date on milk. It'll go blinky. I don't know if you use that term or not. <laughs> bad. It'll go bad, milk will go bad, and other things will go bad. There's expiration date on all kinds of things, but there's no expiration date on love. You know, you know what that indicates to us? That means this, that since God's love for us doesn't have an expiration date, neither should our love for others have an expiration date. I said, so should our love. It shouldn't have an expiration date. We, we shouldn't say, all right, well, I'm done loving that person. Why, why would you... Why, why, why did it run out right there? Well, because of what they did, because of what they said. Well, what if God treated you the same way? Like he says, all right, that's it. That's done. I'm glad the Bible says who shall separate us from the love of Christ. I'm glad his love for us is eternal. And so Paul is saying, listen, it's wonderful that God has gifted you like he has, and you ought to keep using that gift. But to do so, you've got to be operating by love. Because the greatest contribution that you can make to this church family is not you using your gift, but the greatest contribution that you can make to this church family and to your family and to your marriage and to your friendships and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, would be this, that you show God's kind of love. That means every one of us can make a contribution to this church. I want to show you one, one more verse and then we're done. Look at, look at chapter 12 and verse 31. He, having talked about all the gifts, healings and teachers and miracles and tongues and administration and so forth, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, he says, I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13. He says, let me show you a way that far surpasses all the other ways. It's loving God's way. That's the way that you'll benefit others the most. Yesterday, I actually took a little bit of time off and had some things around the house that we were getting caught up on. And one of them was just taking care of an appliance. And so I was using my two-wheeler or dolly, whatever you want to call it, to, to move a, a washer out. And I knew that my dolly, <laughs> you 
call it a dolly. It kind of feels weird to talk about my dolly, but um, <laughs> my two-wheeler. I'm just going to say two-wheeler, all right? <laughs> but it had two flat tires, two flat tires. How, how good would it have done? I came up to that, you know, washer and Tyler was helping me. You know, we got it on there. But if it's on those, those flat tires, I mean, it might have wobbled out. <laughs> Barely got, you know what I'm talking about? You ever, you ever tried to use it? Too, I guess it wasn't the best way to illustrate that. But. <laughs> I'll wobble it out. So I took uh, 15 minutes, I ran to discount tire and I brought it up there and he said, hey, you got flat tire? I got two. <laughs> it took him three minutes. I don't know, I still don't know what he did. He went in there basically and sealed it and then put air in it. No big deal. But as a tool, it was only gonna work if it was properly inflated. You know what I'm afraid sometimes we try to do? We try to bear the pressure of ministry and serving others with two flat tires. Namely this, we don't really love people. All of our love is leaked out. You know what we need? We need God to seal our hearts. Fill our hearts with His love once again. And then you can be the tool that God wants to use. And you can get the job done. It's a lot better than wobbling around. Let's stand together tonight. Love God's way. It's a choice. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. It's an abandonment of your own world, your own way, to do what's best for others. Seeking the good of others, even at the cost of yourself. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to do it. That's what Paul was getting across. He's not expecting that they would do this in their own ability. He's saying that God will give you the ability. We're to be a showcase of God's love, which means we can't get stuck with two flat tires loving ourselves. Dear God, help us tonight as we uh, come together here. Lord, we need your work in our hearts to fill us with your love. That God, we might go about the work that you've given us to do. We're to be a tool that you can use. I pray you'd help us tonight in Jesus' name.